Hi, I'm Baltizard, Fear of Flying Coach, 25 years. And today's podcast, I'm joined by Frederiki, who I've worked with for many years, who is actually an expert in hypnotherapy. Welcome, Frederiki. You So you told me that you listened to the last podcast that I did around hypnosis and you said it was rubbish and that there's lots of things that could be done a lot better. And so I thought I'd invite you on. That's <laughs> so, so not us, true. How did you, you get into very, hypnotherapy? You are very, very naughty, Paul. That's so not true. You were actually very, very close to the mark. How did I get into hypnotherapy? 30 years ago or so? I suffered a close bereavement, which left me not able to function the way I wanted to. And somebody suggested that I go and see um, a hypnotherapist. I'd had bereavement counselling. You know, there is a, a bereavement process. It's good to go through it and all that. But there was a lot of rubbish left over. So went to see this guy who told me I would need to go for 10 sessions at the most. So that was a plus, you know, psychoanalysis for the next 25 years, 10 hypnotherapy sessions. It sounded good. Is that because Um, you're a tight ass or? (laughs) No, because I'm I'm always trying to to get there as fast as I can. Yeah. Yeah. As my speeding record shows. (laughs) (laughs) anyway joined him in the process it was incredible I was just blown away by what was achieved having had some therapy historically before that you know the contrast was just amazing and and that started off an interest I was working in the city I was operations director for a company and I started thinking about what I would do if I was going to work for myself and I thought flower arranging. (laughs) Really? I never knew that. Was that a wind up? That's a wind up. I did think flower arranging but it it didn't meet my skill set. I thought about what it was that I was best at at work and that was helping people. And um, so I started a course in psychology, part-time course in psychology. Mm -hmm. And that was great actually, because it was a grounding that explained lots about all the different types of therapies. And I found myself coming back to hypnotherapy. And yeah, finished the psychology, went off and did specialist training in hypnopsychotherapy. And okay. uh, yeah. So I, I didn't realize you. So how long? So that must have been what, 25 ish years ago? And did you go into probably. practice right away? Did you? Because um, Frederica has a practice in London and I've seen. I've seen you in action one-to-one with people uh, when they've been extremely, extremely agitated. So joking aside, 
you are superb at what you do. And I've only seen a small snapshot of you in action. Thank you. I started private practice probably about 19 years ago now. So there was a, a lead up of part-time education to lead to qualifying while I was still working in the city. Yeah, so, so probably about 19 years I've been in private practice. Did you find from the moment you started that you were, there was a big demand for it? Yeah, interesting actually, because um, I did an article for a newspaper magazine and, and they asked a similar question and how it might have differed from then till now. And it has changed a lot. When I first started, a lot of the work was people who wanted to stop smoking, people who were afraid of spiders. So it was, it was lots of habit change and phobia work first started. Even though because the training is hypnopsychotherapy, I was actually trained to deal with all sorts of life issues. Now, the work is much more around just trying to think the best word for it, because the word that comes to mind is depression, but it, it really is around people feeling stuck, you know, and, and worst of all, during lockdown. Did you Just not get those sort of clients anymore, the phobia, the, you know, like stop smoking, that sort of stuff? Well, do you know, does anyone still smoke? Well, I think people still do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've done a massive amount of research, Frederick, but I imagine people probably do. <laughs> probably do. But they're all happy doing it. They don't want to stop. I, I think probably as long as three, four years ago, since I've had someone who wants to stop smoking, phobias, I still have a lot of. Behaviour change, I still have a lot of. Yeah. Okay, so that, yeah. That's, that's interesting. So, you know, a theory could be that as you've got better and better in your practice, that your people are sort of finding out about you, and then the, so the complex people are coming towards you. Uh, that's just what, that's a theory for what it's worth. But the, the other thing is that, I'm really curious about the phobia side of stuff. What sort of things do you help people with? Yeah, so two questions. What sort of people, what sort of stuff do you help people with? And how does it actually work? Well, if we're focusing specifically on the phobias, it's I, I can honestly say I think I've probably had most. Some are more obvious than others. So, you know, someone who can't go on the tube or on a train. An example that comes to mind, actually, um, a lady who contacted me, wanted to see me, couldn't travel except in the car with her husband who did the driving. So never went anywhere unless it was in the car with the husband. And for that reason, she wanted to see me on a Saturday. And I said, I don't work on Saturdays. Um, and we agreed that I would see her for three sessions on a Saturday on the basis that after that she would come on her own on the tube and we did and she did how did you do that obviously you can't um, reveal your your uh, magic but 
sort of stuff do you do? Well, I think the first thing that maybe people don't realise is that everyone does their own phobia uniquely. So a lot of the work is done in unpicking exactly how someone does their phobia. And the reason for that is because you can then, once you've got the program that they're running, you can interrupt it. So that to me sounds more, it. that sounds more NLP-y though. Is that, is that a crossover there or is that, has NLP nicked it from hypnotherapy? Well, I was going to say, of course, there is a, a crossover because NLP was based on the work of three experts in their fields. One was Virginia Satir, who was a family therapist. So I got um, some bits right then on my podcast. Absolutely. Uh, the other one was Ericsson, as, as you said, who was a hypnotherapist. And the third one, whose name doesn't come to me right now, but it might Fritz be Pearls. Fritz Perls, the, the Gestalt therapist. Thank you. So NLP was, was based on their work. Three therapists who were really bright, excellent at what they did. These two guys came along, sat, watched them, modelled them and created a programme. So, yes, so NLP does have um, crossover. The, the difference is that with NLP, while there is some visualisation work, hypnotherapy relies more on an altered state of awareness. And altered state of awareness, you touched the fact, touched on the fact that, you know, it's like first thing in the morning when you wake up. Other examples that I like to use are if you've ever stood in a queue, you're standing, you're awake, you've got your eyes open, but suddenly you realise that the person in front has moved on and you're still standing oh, like two that. spaces back. Yeah? You were there. So you that, had your eyes. That's not dopey then. That's a trance-like state. That's not dopey. <laughs> that's pretty clear. Yeah. Everyone goes in and out of trance all day long. It's a natural state. And it's a state that hypnotherapists use. It's not one that they create. Oh. Yeah? But when people so, say, I can't go under, what's your response to that? Everyone does on their own all the time. Mm. That example of being in the queue, if while you were standing there being dopey or in trance, a gunman burst into the room, you would very quickly respond. You wouldn't hesitate. Yeah, you would respond. And, and so, yeah, I say everyone can use the trance state that they go into naturally. It's just whether they feel safe to do it in the environment. Mm, so, you know, you were completely point. right. Yeah. If they don't feel safe in the environment, they won't go into trance. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's really good. Keep going. <laughs> the therapist has to create safety in two ways. One is the environment and the other one is the individual's mind. 
most often, if not always, I, I can't think of an example that doesn't fall in this category, but I'm always mindful that I could be surprised, yeah? So most people have set up a phobia as a protection mechanism. No other reason, yeah? If it's a protection mechanism, then letting go of it is putting themselves in danger. So that's what I mean when I say safety in environment and safety in the mind. The person has to acknowledge that it's going to be safe to let go of this phobia to be able to change anything. Yeah, I love that. That's a really, you're a lot cleverer than I realized. <laughs> Thank you. No, you're welcome. <laughs> you can uh, have that one. <laughs> no, that's a really nice way to put it. I, I often, when you listen to people, when I listen to people who do different types of work, mm. it's really interesting to me when somebody has their kind of their way of describing it, but also that I, I would defy anybody listening to that who wouldn't get how it works because there's a lot of misunderstanding around hypnotherapy, would you agree? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, and I, I would agree with you that it comes from the sort of stage hypnosis and, and people mixing the, the two together. Yeah, they're so, very different. I've got, I've got loads of questions for you, Frederick. Go so, on. Yeah, you've got all day. Then uh, just look at the fear of flying specifically. How do you help somebody to lose that phobia? Oh, well, as I said, firstly, I, I need to understand their specific way um, of, of keeping that phobia going. So, and, and ultimately, what is it about? Because, you know, some people uh, think that, well, it, some people would say, well, it's about dying. And it's not necessarily about dying. For some people, it's about who they're not going to see again. Yeah. For some people, it's the uh, fear of crash landing somewhere and not being found. Mm -hmm. Yeah, kind of lost. I don't know if you ever watched that series. Yes. Situation, that kind of thing. Yeah. So. So finding out what the ultimate fear is, is actually really important. And, and it's, it's, so it's almost like uh, going to the end and working backwards. If somebody came to you, so they, you've understood that kind of, what is mm. the, the biggest fear? Mm. What would you say is that, I know this is how long a piece of string, but how many times do you think people need to visit you or somebody like you, obviously not as good, how many times would they need to visit to, to deal with a phobia such as the fear of flying? It depends on whether it's what we call a simple phobia, which is something that some people find offensive because it feels like there's nothing simple about it. If their phobia is just about being something going wrong in a plane, yeah, then I would say probably first session to take all the history and then 
maybe two or three sessions after that. Wow. What, so if someone does have a simple phobia, but they're not happy with that, can they upgrade it? Oh, they can. Absolutely. <laughs> Most people don't have a simple phobia. Most people, it's, it extends to other things. So, you know, if it's a fear of being trapped, they're probably equally anxious when they're in a lift, the underground other situations, or maybe they're already not using those forms sure. of transport. So yeah, it, it depends on, as you said, how long is a piece of string? If it's more complex, it might be five, six, seven. It's really unlikely to, to go beyond the 10, unless in the process of working with the therapist, you've come to realize that there are other issues that are holding you back and, and you want to um, investigate those. Yeah, interesting. So the, this interesting idea for me is around the complex versus simple. Mm. Would you ever tell somebody where they are or would you just say, I think we'll probably need three to five sessions. How does it, what would you tend to say? You know, it's interesting because it's a question that people often ask before they even make the first appointment. How many sessions will I need? Having a similar conversation with someone at the moment via their secretary. And I don't actually know what the problem is. So that's interesting. <laughs> maybe they're asking for a friend. Maybe, yeah. it's, maybe it's for him or her. Yeah. I, what I tend to do is say... What I've said to you depends on whether it's a simple phobia or something more complex. You're looking at something between five and 10 sessions. It could be three, it could be seven. But what I always do with all clients is I put in break clause, if you like, and I say, let's review after three sessions. If there has been no change at all, it doesn't mean that your issue can't be resolved. It just means that I'm not the right person for you to do it with. Ooh. So I as just... long as, yeah, yeah, well, you know, I, I suppose <laughs> I'm in the business of helping people. That's why I set up to do this. If what I wanted to do was to just have a regular income, I would have gone into psychoanalysis. And then I'd have, a handful of clients who came back three times a week for the next 25 years. Excellent. Yeah. And that's okay. That, you know, some people need that, want that. Don't know whether they need it, but they want it. But that's not what I wanted to do. You asked me right at the beginning, did I choose the therapy I chose for myself because I was a cheapskate. I'm not sure if that was your word, but. <laughs> and the answer is, in reality, we're not here for very long. If I can fix something, I want to get on and get it fixed and get on with life. Fair enough. I think a lot of people could relate to that. Yeah. And then that's what I want for my clients. Mm. I want to help them resolve the issue and, and get on and enjoy the moments they've got so, so I, I like and I, what I particularly like about that is and I'm sure it's similar to all your colleagues is this 
integrity, you know, so you get, we'll review at three sessions, mm. nothing's happening, I'm not the right person for you. But it doesn't mean that somebody else couldn't help you. Yeah, so if you absolutely. take it back, the safety has to be in the room, but also safety with the therapist. So it could be that they are feeling they're not ready to, to let it go yet, yeah. for whatever reason. Yeah. That therapy in environment, uh, safety in environment, safety in their mind, and numerous research programs have been done where we know for a fact that the relationship between the therapist and the client is crucial in any yes. therapy. Yeah. So, and it's formed yeah. very quickly, isn't it? You, yeah. I've been to therapy myself and I knew within you know, moments whether I was yeah. going to continue with this person. Sometimes you listen yeah. to your gut feel, sometimes you don't. Yeah. So my thing of reviewing after three sessions is because, you know, some people who find themselves in therapy are so unsure of themselves that they're not very good at saying, this isn't working for me. Mm. And you have to almost do that for them. Yeah. yeah. I like that. In your opinion, can everyone be helped with hypnotherapy? If they want to be. And they're in the hands of a professional who's been trained. Yeah, I would, um, I would say that's, I would agree with that. Yeah. Okay, so there is nothing, this is what I say to clients as well, there is nothing that can be done with hypnotherapy that can't be done without, with traditional psychotherapy. Because I practice traditional psychotherapy and I also practice other things like EMDR, eye movement desensitization, reprocessing and, and other things. There's nothing you can do with hypnotherapy that you can't do without, but it's, again, I'm always, you know, reluctant to say <laughs> this definitive thing. It's very unlikely and never in my experience is it as fast with hip, without hypnotherapy as it is with. Okay. So you achieve the results much more quickly with hypnotherapy than without. That's why I liked hypnotherapy. I've never yeah. used it. When I first did my training, it was many years ago, I did do some stop smoking and all those type of things, normal stuff. And then I, I realised I liked elements of it. I liked the learning, but I wasn't going to be a therapist. I just knew that wasn't going to be the, the route for me. But it, I you didn't want to help people? I, I don't like helping people <laughs> at you all. You don't like helping people. Not yeah. really, no. It's um, <laughs> There's a couple of upsides, that's, but it's all, no. Uh, I like that helping is, people. That's the vibe I got. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, I, I like knowing stuff so that I can then pull people together who are, mm. who are experts in it. So I know a bit about yeah. flying, I know a bit about cabin crew, I know a bit about hypnotherapy, EMDR, TFT, NLP. You know, stuff. A, you know more than a bit about most of those things. I've seen you in action, um, well, and and I've been there when when people in in the room have said that they think the money was well spent just to come and listen to you. That's all. Really? That is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's true though. It's true. I'm expecting so thank you, 
Thank you. No, I, I do it because I like helping people. I like helping and I like getting people together who have similar minds like yourselves to, mm. to do something amazing and also to help people to challenge those limiting beliefs. Um, sometimes yeah. they always say with a good team that you should recruit people around you to, to fill your gaps, not your weaknesses. But I've also believed that you should have people around you to replace your strengths. So just because if I can do something doesn't mean I should. If there's somebody who can do it even better yeah. and loves doing it, then I, I like I like that near me as well. Because I just think it's then you've got more resources to help people, which is you know, what yeah. the whole point of it is. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask a sort of a closing question then. Well, actually, I've got two closing questions for you. One's a bit more lighthearted. The first one is if somebody's looking around now thinking, what they're listening, thinking, um, I want to get some hypnotherapy, I want to get some help. What what would you suggest? What's the easiest way for them to do it? Obviously, they can contact you or by Zoom, and you know you are accessible that way. But if they want to keep it local, what how would how would they go about that? I would say go to the UKCP website and find a therapist who's registered with them. UKCP. So what about globally? Because there are people listening from other countries as other well. Other countries as well. Yeah. There is a European arm of, I'm just trying to think, I'm fairly sure it's a, it's a European arm for UKCP. So again, UKCP is the place to start. I don't know what the registering bodies are in other countries. I know they exist. So I know for definite that the States has a registering body as well. It's really difficult, isn't it? Because I'm, I would say there are probably therapists out there who can do very good work using hypnotherapy who aren't registered. But there is a safety factor in using someone who is registered. Indeed. Occasionally, you don't know what's going to come up, even if you go to see someone for a simple phobia, like a spider phobia. You don't know what else is going to come up. And if that person has no training in psychotherapy, you could be left disadvantaged. And it could potentially even more harm than help yeah and then I that's suppose that's what I mean yeah but you know disadvantaged you know I have inquiries from people who I can't see because as I've already said I'm a bit slack I don't like to work on Saturdays <laughs> and and if we can't find a time that works I always suggest they go to the UKCP website and find someone who's more local. Brilliant. That's brilliant. Okay, so that's great. Thank you very much, Federico. So here's my curveball question then. So you've listened to my podcast twice I did on hypnosis. <laughs> Which bits did I get wrong? <laughs> I don't, do you know what? Did you get any of it really wrong? Highly suggestible people. You mentioned highly suggestible people. The only people that fall into that category in reality are people who have 
some sort of mental dysfunction. Yeah, that's probably not a very good term, but I can't think of another one. So the people that you were really referring to, I think the term was wrong to say highly suggestible. They're people who want to play the game. So I, I've worked with Paul McKenna in, in years gone by. You're right that he does a test to see who's going to be a, a good subject. It's not about how highly suggestible they are. It's more about how much they want to play the game and do they want to play it enough that they will follow the rules. So if he says, clasp your hands together as tightly as you can, curling your fingers round each hand and now try and pull them apart. The person that wants to play the game, yeah, has already twigged that they shouldn't be able to pull them apart. So, and I differentiate because highly suggestible people is a different bracket, as I say. I can take that. Yeah. I love that. That's, that's yeah. Good. Oh, is there more? There's a list. There's a list. Is there, is there a list? No, I'm, I made a few little notes, actually, just as, as I was listening. I mean, I think we've covered it all today. The, the fact that, you know, the right environment means the right environment physically as well as mentally is, is mm -hmm. really important. Mm -hmm. How motivated the individual is, is what's really going to make a difference. Yeah, so, no, I... I I did ring you and tell you that I thought you'd done very well, and I did mean it. Okay. <laughs> I shall take it. All right. So, no, I just wanted to, you know, in case anybody else listens to it and goes, well, that's not quite right. Frederiki, I think the, the only, do you know what? It. Before we go, I think more. the only thing, well, no, the only thing that I want to pass comment on, because it's another area that I'm trained in and I work with, is it doesn't really bear any resemblance to mindfulness. If somebody has told you that it does, it's because they don't understand one or the other properly. Mindfulness right. and meditation is something very different all of its own. Mm. Love it. I stand corrected, Frederiki. Did you say your name then? <laughs> Hyp hypnotherapy is about altered states of awareness that are used in ways where you take somebody on a journey. And mindfulness is about state of awareness, an altered state of awareness, yes, but it's about a state of awareness where you are very present in the present moment with the breath that you're breathing in that moment. Oh, awesome. If people need some help and they particularly want to get in touch with you, are there any kind of, have you got any sort of downloads available or, or do they need to come for the real thing? No, they'd have to come for the real thing, I'm afraid. Yeah. So, you're, yeah, yeah. so we'll put your details in the bottom of this podcast. But Thank you. Yeah, Frederica operates in London, but now with the situation, she's global. She's all zoomed up. So you can access her anywhere you like, as long as it's not a Saturday. Is that fair? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely Frederiki, thanks Amelia thank you so much for your time and that was really good and also 
Thank you for the notes as well. I appreciate the corrections and it was done in a very, very respectful way. You know <laughs> I'm I, very thorough. <laughs> yes. Uh, and that's, yes, that's all part of your brand. But no, that's absolutely yeah. awesome. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed it, Paul. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. Mm -hmm.